For those of you that don't know, Kelly and I met dancing 24 years ago, so I, I literally swept my wife off her feet. I, I have that to, it's like one of the highlights of my life, honestly. Um, good morning. Good morning, good morning here. Good morning if you're out online. Good morning to our uh, friends and sisters and brothers in Tanzania, if you're watching. Good morning to Bob and Gabe, if you're watching on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Go to the buffet. Just get up and go to the buffet. Go sit by up. Do something. Um, Bob actually texted me this morning. I haven't actually talked to Bob like all week, which has been very strange, but he texted this morning and said, hey, we'll be pulling in on the boat tomorrow morning at 9.30 into Fort Lauderdale, and we'll be back in town, and they just said it's been such an amazing, amazing uh, time away, so can't wait to see them come back and fresh-eyed and just in, in, uh, in, in sun t- and tan, exactly, yes, yes, hopefully not burned, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, good morning. Um, there are a, a quick couple things I want to say uh, before we just jump into the, the message this morning. Um, one, there are, there are two things that have um, fundamentally changed my relationship with God in the last like five years um, and that ultimately have led to even me standing up here today. Um, when I came to understand these, they also clearly influenced a lot of my teaching. Um, but they are simply, those two things are simply understanding the nature and function of the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare, and then how that leads directly to the idea of the kingdom of God. So we talked about that a lot last week, right? It's something that James continually mentions throughout the book of James, right? He continually refers to the, the spiritual realm, and, um, and we'll talk about that again this morning because he brings it up again. Um, I spent, you know... 40 years of my life, right, not understanding those things and never having been introduced to those things in the church, and I suffered the consequences of that. So, um, you know, it is, in my mind, a fundamental understanding of these things that can can properly shape um, the way that the church is meant to operate, Right? These are real things, right? It's not like, like, you know, when we read about it in scripture, we're like, oh, of course, like Jesus cast out a demon. He talked to this, he talked to that. And then we, I think we believe like some t- at some point the angels and demons were like, uh, I don't know, they just got too smart for us. We can't do anything anymore. Like we're, we're out, right? Which is not the case, right? These things are still actively um, uh, present in our lives and around us. And as we talked last week, right, the veil is paper thin between the spiritual realm and the fundamental reality of the spiritual realm, the primary reality of the spiritual realm, and the secondary reality of this world that is a, a, a shadow and an echo of, of the world, that, of the realm that created this one, right? Um, <clears throat> and I just want to say a couple little things. People get weirded out by that. Like, we live in a very materialist, like a scientific materialism worldview, right? Where if you can't touch it and measure it, it doesn't really exist. Um, but, you know, it's, I, just, I love that we just sang this, the, the songs this morning, right? The power of hell forever defeated, right? The, um, it is well, I'm walking in freedom, right? This is what we, this is how this works, right? Somebody um, asked me, uh, 
a year or two ago, actually, I was talking about spiritual warfare, and they went, I said, I just, I live there. Like, that's kind of how I, I just, I operate on those things on a daily basis. And they went, isn't that exhausting? And I was like, no. <laughs> living under the lies of the devil is exhausting. Like, living in anxiety and pride and perfection and fear and self-reliance and self-provision, that's exhausting, Right? Living in the freedom that comes from, 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 from surrendering and understanding that I have complete and absolute victory over those things, and when I see those lies come, I just go, I don't agree with that. Get away from me, right? That's not exhausting at all, right? Freedom is exhilarating. And so when we talk about these things, this is not like some, you know, this is not like end of, you remember the movie End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like fighting huge, fiery deep, right? That's not what I'm talking about with spiritual warfare, Right? Everything in the spiritual realm bows its knee to the name of Jesus like that, if you understand that, right? But, it's, but again, we go back to the idea of ignoring these things is what, is what give, ultimately gives it power in our life. And part of the reason I mention that is we're a church that believes deeply in those things, right? Um, and so I have to stand here and tell you that, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday um, last Wednesday, was the first of the month. We have our healing uh, prayer time, right, after that service, um, because we believe deeply that God moves and the Spirit moves and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ that created this realm still works and moves. And I gotta tell you, we were three for three. It was a very, very small service. There were like six or seven of us here. But we had three people that we prayed for healing for afterward. I watched a woman come in in a, in a walking boot, limping, and I watched her at the end take the boot off, stand on that, like literally intentionally put weight on it for 45 minutes. And she's like, I don't, I was supposed to get ortho, like the tendonitis is, I don't understand that. She's like, and then she took, she's like, forget this boot, I'm taking the boot off. And then we're like, it's cold outside. She's like, I don't care. Did you see what Jesus just did? I'll just walk into my car. Uh, and, and then literally this morning, I pray for a guy who had an injured shoulder. He couldn't barely move his shoulder. He emailed this morning and said, he literally just got the email 10 minutes ago. said, Praise Jesus, I just wanted to let everybody know that my shoulder is still amazing. I've been able to hold a pen for the first time in weeks. Like, guys, this is where we operate, right? I want to be very clear that this is not theoretical, right? When we come, when we come here, there's Joe right there. Actually, I didn't know you yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the beauty of how these things operate is real, right? So as we're going to talk this morning about the nature of of the kingdom of God, the upside down nature of the kingdom of God and the fundamental idea of the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. I couldn't not say those things this morning as we started. Um, and if you don't understand that or you're just like, yeah, that's freaky, right? Then please, please come and talk to us. I'm happy to have a conversation about it. It's not, it's just not, right? When, the, when, you, when you encounter the reality of the Holy Spirit, you just go, oh, wow. My life is so much more amazing, right? So anyway, I'll leave that. I should get on to my sermon now. Here we go. Um, but no, I, so I just really wanted to say that because it does tie into what we're going to be talking about this morning. So um, we're back finishing up the third chapter of James. And this is, there's only five verses here, but there's a lot of uh, really amazing points in these five verses. So let me read this and we'll get going. James says, who is wise among you? Wise and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, 
but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, so again, we're going to talk about this morning kind of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God and the the juxtaposition that, that James makes here between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. Right, so let's talk um, about what wisdom is, right? What is wisdom? How is it different than having knowledge, right? Whatever wisdom is, we know that it's inherently good, right? Being wise or having wisdom is never looked down upon, right? Uh, the opposite of wisdom, foolishness, we typically wholeheartedly scorn, right? We don't typically celebrate foolishness. So as a broad stroke, I think wisdom can be seen this way, is essentially the proper application of knowledge, right? Though knowledge can sometimes stand alone and independent of wisdom as a fact, right? Wisdom is driven by a goal, right? Or a purpose or a desired outcome, Understanding how to take knowledge and apply it properly to achieve that outcome, right, is what we consider wise, right? Um, as a quick side note, right, I, I want to make, make it clear that oftentimes in Scripture we will actually see wisdom and knowledge spoken of synonymously. That's because the way that we see knowledge, right, oh, I studied that, I know it, I read a book, right? That is fundamentally different than the way the ancient Hebrew culture uh, under or even Eastern cultures understand knowledge, right? Understand knowing something, um, and we see this both in the Greek word uh, gnosko, right, which is used here, right, and the Hebrew word yada, right, which means to know. Um, and the implication of both of those words, right, is knowledge um, through experience, right? They can't be separated from the fundamental experience that goes with knowing, and really. I only have to pull one New Testament and one Old Testament verse to show you that very clearly um, in context, right? Are there any small children in the room? Okay, plug your ears. Um, Luke one thirty four. Mary replies to the angel when uh, he says that she's going to bear a child, and she says, how will this be since I have not known a man? Well, clearly, clearly... Joseph was around and her father was around and she wouldn't. So there's a different kind of knowledge we're talking about there. Um, Old Testament, right? We've, all, we've heard this one. Um, Genesis 4.1, right? Uh, Adam knew Eve, yada, and she became pregnant. Right. This is clearly not book knowledge we're talking about. Okay, just, just so we're clear on that. Right, this, this is the understanding of like a fundamental right, understanding of what knowledge is. It cannot be separated from the experience that goes with it. So even, even though we don't really see it that way, right, understand this is the biblical understanding of this. So um, on a wider level, I think wisdom in, in some part is about knowing our place in the world. Right, understanding our capacities, both good and bad, Right, the sphere of influence in which we employ those capacities, right, and the consequences of those behaviors and actions. 
So, um, for instance, as I was studying this, I came across this, you know, somebody said, knowledge is recognizing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is understanding whether or not it belongs in a fruit salad. <laughs> right? Right? So, right, the application of our knowledge, right? Um, so, right, so we have goals and outcomes associated with wisdom. What's the problem with goals and outcomes, especially where we're involved or a group of people involved or several people, right? Any two people can agree on a desired goal and yet disagree entirely on how to get there, right? On what the wise way to accomplish that goal is. Just ask any husband and wife, <laughs> right? Um, in fact, this principle probably played out in the car this morning for a lot of us, right? No, go that way. The highway's gonna be, no, if we go this way, I can go to Starbucks. There's clearly a different wisdom here, right? So, um, so the question is, is it even possible to find a source of wisdom on which all people everywhere throughout time can rely. Right, and that's what we're going to explore this morning. Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the earth until Jesus, right, wrote, wrote much of the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Right, and he had a lot to say about wisdom. So, for instance, Proverbs 3, 13 to 15 Listen to the language that he uses here, right? And this is not a man who was seeking wisdom. This is a man who God literally bestowed, right, wisdom on in a way that no other person has walked in wisdom. He had this wisdom. Here's what he said about it. Proverbs 3, um, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields a better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Proverbs 4, wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Whatever else you may acquire, get understanding. And Proverbs 2, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. So Solomon certainly had a lot of wisdom and he wanted to communicate the value of that wisdom. Right, from the world's perspective, right, without an external standard of these things, wisdom terminates, though, on the individual right, and their ability to process knowledge and experience right, a way that achieves their goals. And we're all too familiar with what those goals look like in the world, right? Wealth, power, influence, recognition, success, right? But how do those goals relate to the goals of the kingdom of God that we as followers of Jesus say we're committed to? Right, so I want us to focus this morning on really taking a look at what we say we believe and how oftentimes our behavior betrays what we truly believe. Right? And once again, let me be very clear to reiterate what I said last week about the teaching of Jesus and the words of God. Right? They will always always, always call us up to a higher, more fulfilling and beautiful life, right? Even if that life looks radically different than what the world says it should look like, right? So be clear, this is not a message about wealth, um, how wealth is bad, right? How your car should be a hoopty, right? And how all of your uh, makeup should come from Walmart, right? That's not, that's not what this is about, 
right? This is not a message about stuff. This is a message about your heart. You see, what I want to ask you this morning is one question. What is your heart toward the kingdom of God? Like I said last week, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And this message is equally about the heart that drives your goals and your desires. And God is very clear on this point in Hebrews 4.12, right? That he judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when it comes to the wisdom of the world, right, the problem is not that the world is focused on stuff, but the fact that the wisdom of the world is rooted in a heart pointed away from God, right? Listen to how Paul says it in Romans 8, right? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Right, and this is the distinction James makes here. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Right? That's the wisdom of the world. Right? James does not mince words here on the source of the world's wisdom. Right? Those three words, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Right? He uses those specifically to contrast these two types of wisdom. Right? Earthly means literally, of this worldly realm, right? He just says that. It does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly of this idea. Unspiritual, right, literally means like of the carnal fleshly desire, right? Desires of the fallen human mind as opposed to the redeemed new creation of a spiritual person in Christ. And demonic. I, trust me, I studied it out to make sure I wasn't leading you the wrong way. It's literally what it means taught by and sourced from demons, right? Again, James is not unclear on these things. He's not implying, like, maybe, well, I wonder if he's kind of saying that. He's pretty clear on several points throughout, the, throughout his entire letter on this idea, right? We often brush that stuff aside, though, as metaphor, Right? And I've talked to several people like, oh, yeah, I remember teaching on, they just kind of skip over that word. They don't really, just, just demonic, right? But that is not a metaphor, right? This world belongs to the devil and his demons, and the wisdom of this world proceeds from hell, just like we talked about last week. So I'll reiterate, right, this point. Right, your enemy is constantly trying to destroy you by any means he can. And if he can derail your life with God through a life spent seeking the false comfort of the world, well, that's a tactic he's used from the very beginning. Isn't it? I mean, that's the lie he told Eve. Right? She saw the fruit was good for, you know, good to eat and good for wisdom. Right? He is active in our lives. And the very, but again, that very idea, right, is what should motivate us toward God. 
right? But he, our true provider, our true protector, our true comfort, with, who has all the victory over these things, right? Again, this is not, this is not, those statements should not motive, should not create fear in you at all. Right, look what, so, right, in that vein of that tactic, let's look what, what Mark's, what Jesus says in Mark eight thirty six. right? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Right, he's talking here again about a heart pointed a certain direction, not stuff, right? We clearly see in scripture, there were plenty of wealthy people that helped support, right, the ministry of Jesus, right? Surprisingly, they were usually women too, so, because um, they're just better with money, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, that's my opinion, that's not spiritual truth. <laughs> um, Right, so I want to look deeper at the, with the, the contrast James is making here, right? See, here's where we're going to stand, folks. I alluded to this at the beginning of, of, of my message. The devil has done an amazing job over the past couple of generations convincing the church that we can look just like the world and somehow maintain a heart pointed toward God, right? It's a lie perpetrated from the deepest depths of hell, but it has been a wildly successful strategy to sideline the church and make it irrelevant, at least especially here in America. Right? And if you have a question about that, right, you think, oh, I'm not irrelevant. Well, all you got to do is look at the way that, I mean, just look at media, look at the way the church is portrayed, look at the way that we're seen, right? It's, I'm not going to go into that, but it's not hard to to. Right, that's not my opinion. It's not hard to uh, establish that as, as, as reality, right? So you remember last week I said, right, the church has, has only ever been called to protect itself against two things, right? False teaching and false prophecy. This is a good example of that, right? We've spent decades hearing about the prosperity gospel and how God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And if you just seed some money into this ministry, right, that you'll get a harvest of a hundredfold, right? But is that how it works? Right? Is that how God designed it? Is this life really about us and our stuff? See, the last 40 years, right, of the consumer church model has left us feeling entitled, deserving, and largely lacking an understanding of the wisdom of God. Right? And we, and we see church the way we do today as this is how we do church. But uh, trust me, I mean, I, I, I came up in this and I was involved in ministry and I, I, have, I could tell you very clearly about, right, the, the, um, the genesis of how we do church right now really goes back to like the, the early 80s, right? It isn't, we've not always done church this way, right? Um, but that's a whole nother, nother topic. Again, happy to chat about it, happy to to have an email conversation or a coffee over it, and we can talk about that. Um, but here's, here's the thing, right? The kingdom of God, as I said earlier, is an upside-down way of looking at the world work, the way the world, <laughs> upside-down from the way the world sees wisdom working. James says this in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Right? Consider that phrase, right? Where does humility fit in the wisdom of the world? 
Aren't humility and meekness often seen as weakness and vulnerability in the eyes of the world? What if right, you had an opportunity for a promotion at work, but because you knew your, knew your coworker just had a new baby, you actually chose to go to your manager and say, you know, I'm going to withdraw this, and I'm going to recommend that he get the promotion. Right? I, don't, I don't want it. I'd rather you give it to him. We're both qualified. Because you knew right, that that raise would be a huge blessing to their family. Would the world ever see something like that as wisdom? And I'm not even saying that the money wouldn't be a blessing to you or that you didn't need it. Right? I'm not saying you're like, I'm fine, just give it. This is not about that condescending pride. Right? But what if in a full trust in the God who provides you everything and has your life securely in his hand, you made that choice. How does that sit with you even hearing like a, like a, a, a scenario like that? Are you like, what? Wouldn't the world tell you rather, right, as James says, that you should pursue that promotion with, I don't know, bitter envy and selfish ambition? Right? The wisdom of the world? Look at, look at how Jesus talks about this, right? This is Mark 8, 35. This verse comes directly before the verse where he says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul, right? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me or for the gospel will save it. Upside down. Right, so Jesus makes a profound statement about here, right, about who is in control of our lives and the wisdom we should have in understanding that. Right, we begin to see how opposite the goals and the wisdom of God are from those of the world. Right? Let's look at a few more. Matthew 19, Jesus just gets finished talking to the rich young ruler. Right, he says, who goes away sad because he had much wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Again, just total upside down statement, right? Why is it hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Because that stuff is so distracting, Right? It just makes it, it's just so easy to try to rely on that stuff as opposed to, rely, it's not bad in and of itself, but it makes our hearts want to go, I got this. Right? Again, Jesus says this, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. Right? What this is, fundamentally, is about trust in who our God is and what he has promised us. Right? Paul says interesting things in this regard to the believers in the church of Corinth. So listen, listen to these words. Tell me if you would not feel insulted if you were described this way. Okay. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not 
to nullify the things that are. So if I got up here this morning and said, I am so glad that God has gathered in this place all of the despised and foolish people of the, <laughs> that I know. Welcome, right? How many of you would turn around and be like, I'm, I'm leaving, right? How does Paul get away with that? What's he trying to say? Right? Look what he says right before that. Follow me on this. This is 1 Corinthians 18, uh, I mean, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Right? That's God speaking through Isaiah. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Right? What's the foolishness of what is preached? Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and the first will be last, last, but right? The greatest among you is a servant. That's foolishness to the world. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Right? And therein lies the powerful distinction between worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God, right? It is the source of that wisdom. Because the world loves to laud its own wisdom. But again, what does James say the source of that wisdom is? Hell itself. But the source of godly wisdom is, of course, God himself, right? Which leads us to this question, right? Who among us would walk into the throne room and stand in front of the almighty God and go, listen, I appreciate that you are the timeless infinite one, but I got this figured out, <laughs> right? The sheer arrogance it would take to do that would be on par with the arrogance it took Satan to rebel against God in the first place. Oh, wait, you see the connection there? That's why that kind of wisdom is demonic. Right? When we understand that whatever wisdom we think we can claim is eclipsed by the infinite understanding and sovereignty and wisdom of God, we will be able to stand with the church at Corinth and say, I would rather be counted on the side of God's foolishness than the side of man's wisdom. Because when we can finally stand in that place, it'll be because we actually understand the nature and character of our God. Right? It will mean that we've taken God out of our pocket and put him back on the infinite throne of the universe where he belongs. Right? It'll mean that we understand what Jesus actually came to rescue us from and we've come to an understanding of the privilege and value of knowing God. We'll be able to say, right, as Paul did to the Philippians, whatever was gained to me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count 
all things lost, listen, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ. How many times have, have you thought to yourself, right, boy, I just cherish the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Do you have a context to know what that means? Right, what are the things in our life that we would actually say we consider to have surpassing greatness? Right? We stand at the crux of two kingdoms. Your soul is a trophy in the spiritual realm, and the devil wants it. He will stop at nothing to convince you right, that the way of the world is better And that's why Paul warns the Corinthians, right? He says, be on your guard, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Why would Paul say that unless he was aware that the devil can outwit us? Right? And when we understand the spiritual nature of this battle in our lives, we see exactly why James actually says in the next chapter, which Paul, I'm sure Bob will preach on next week or the week after, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world means enmity toward God? Right? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has put in you? Right? James draws a clear line, again, not about stuff, but where our hearts are pointed. Right? They cannot be pointed in two directions at once. And since, right, when we choose to be pointed in the direction of God with our hearts, we're back to a way of living that the world just doesn't understand. Right? James describes it like this. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, when was the last time you heard those attributes hailed as powerful advice on how to get ahead in the world, right? You want to be successful? Go with submission and mercy, right? Consider that same idea, though, here, right? Second Peter, right? Peter writes to the church that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and then he says this, right? He, he, he puts out a list similar to that, only um, slightly different. And then he says, whoever does not have these things is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. Right? Forgetting, forgetting what Jesus did for us. Right? I got this. I'm fine. I don't really, I mean, it's good. I love Jesus, but I mean, I can't really remember why I, you know, I don't really remember anything that he did, you know. It's good, but I'm glad he saved me. I just can't remember from what, <laughs> right? So listen, if this seems like too much or too far to go to consider, right, flipping your goals and ambitions in this life to pursue an understanding of the life God offers you, I can't force you to live this way. Right, again, I'm just calling us up to the promises of God and the best possible life. 
right? If you would rather settle for the things of the world, that is up to you. But please understand, and I'm not gonna pull punches here, please understand you're settling for mediocrity. And I don't say that, again, to condemn you at all. I say it to offer a reminder that the things that you're trusting can never bring you the fullness of joy that your heart knows is out there. The Spirit of God has put in you this understanding that it's there. The fullness is there. But the things that we, we turn and rely on, they just can't do it. Right? Friends, don't believe the lies, the effective lies of the enemy to draw our hearts away from God. Right? The source of that wisdom, again, comes only from the one that Jesus says came to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't believe the lies. There's just a better way to live, right? Again, have we let ourselves become nearsighted and blind? Or do we really see who Jesus is and the surpassing greatness of knowing him? Right, look at this picture in Revelation 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Right again in Isaiah 6, Isaiah has this vision. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, the sound, and at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. Right, and look again in Revelation 4, 8. Right, he talks about the angels. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And maybe that would sound something like this.
Amen. Day and night, forever and ever, they never stop singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because of the surpassing greatness of knowing him, right? We talked at the beginning about wisdom being knowing about, about knowing wisdom being knowing our place in the world. Right? But now we understand that true wisdom is about understanding our place in front of our God, who is infinitely greater than us and who has graciously given us all good things. So I come back to the question I asked you earlier, which direction is your heart pointed? Right? The wis- this wisdom is understanding the difference between the kingdom in which you live and the kingdom to which you belong. All the promises of God that you want in your life, they live here. They live in this wisdom. This is where they're found. Right? Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. Whatever else you may acquire, get understanding. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, holy, holy, holy is your name. Thank you. Thank you. I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would just fall on our hearts with a surpa- understanding of the surpassing greatness of knowing who you are. The surpassing greatness. Let us, let us understand. Let us understand how to pursue that, how to, how to point our hearts in that direction and how to move closer to you. How to silence the lies around us that somehow the things of this life will get us where we want to go and to rely on you more, more fully. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. We do, we're going to do communion now. Um, the way we do communion here at Discover, if you are new here, you are welcome to join us for communion. You do not have to be a member of this church. We'll have wine, bread, and gluten-free crackers up here at the front. Um, there's also a self-serve station back there with juice and bread and, and gluten-free crackers. Um, feel free to just kind of come up. Uh, if you don't know, follow the crowd. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll direct you. Um, all right, let's go back into some worship. Thank you, guys.